Welcome to episode 78 of the Gunfronters Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law back with us tonight after taking a week off when we needed you most. Uh, following Alabama's second loss, J-Law just bailed on us when went and caught some rays down at the beach. Alabama coming off the second loss, you know, you think you, you – we, we thought this would go one of two ways. Either the team was going to give up and quit or they were going to come out with, with fire and passion and play Alabama football the way we've known it for the last 15 years. And kind of they did both, you know, first half really lackluster, not a lot of energy, not a lot of effort, the same crap we've been seeing. And then in the second half, a fire did get lit up under them. They ran the ball with some aggressiveness. It was nice to see first time this season that we've seen that. Um, Alabama squeaks, squeaks another one out on the road, 30 to 24, another play or another game that came down to to a fourth down in, in Alabama territory. Uh, with Ole Miss on a fourth and 16 incomplete pass. Um, even though Brian Branch had great coverage, I was still expecting a flag. I was like, there's no way they won't throw a flag here and give Ole Miss another shot inside the 10-yard line. But, um, Lester, general thoughts about what you saw from the team this Saturday and and uh, and how they responded, I guess, after the LSU loss? Um, They – they did what they had to do to win the football game. Um, it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't anything necessarily bad. They just did what they do. I wasn't excited about the performance, and I wasn't disappointed about the performance at all. Because, you know, like I was talking about earlier before we started the podcast, like I've just sensed a change and the tone that people talk about Alabama football for right now. Um, everybody's just kind of like, yeah, this is who they are. It is what it is. They're not going to blow anybody out. I don't have expectations of us scoring, you know, 40, 50 points a game. We're going to grind it out, you know, probably have a couple penalties over here or there, um, be a little bit undisciplined, yada, yada, yada. Um, those things, the penalties, the undisciplined nature of this team, they no longer piss off the fan base because this team – is who they are, right? They're, they're not going to change. We, you know, 8, 9, 10 going to the season. So, yeah, I was, um, as Nick Saban has said before, a win on the road in the SEC is extre- extremely tough. Um, it's impressive, and that's just how I'm going to take it. It was a good win for sure, but that's it. it. It was a good win, and they almost screwed it up. But, yeah, it was a good win. I'll take it. J-Law, just another game here where Alabama's three touchdowns better than Ole Miss easily on paper, whether you're on the road, you're at a neutral site, or you're at home, it doesn't matter. Um, But just the identity of what Alabama has become over these last two seasons um, reared its ugly head again. This this past Saturday, Alabama's 317 yards that they got against Ole Miss, that was the least that Ole Miss has given up in SEC play this year. The two last-place teams in the West, Texas A&M, put up 480 on Ole Miss and Auburn, as bad as they are. Uh, this is this is Brian Harson Auburn, not Cadillac Auburn. You know, Cadillac Auburn is going to win the national championship. Um, this is Brian Harson Auburn. They had 440 yards against Ole Miss. So, uh, another like, – like Lester said, Alabama's kind of falling into that identity. So, I mean, what are your thoughts and opinions on this game? Well, it didn't start out great with um, Eli Riggs going out on the first play. 
So it, when you when you saw Eli Ricks go out on the first play, the first thing I think of is, well, they're about to throw it three nonstop, and they did. Um, so you knew that was a liability. Fifty percent of the field's going to be wide open. Um, this guy has no idea what he's doing at corner. Plays up, plays back. They're going to find a way to beat him. And then you come out and you do what Alabama does. You turn the ball over on the road. You you're trying to draw a team off sides. You're not even supposed to snap the ball. And as happy as we've been with Seth McLaughlin all year when he's playing, it's like the it's like this team situationally has a very low football IQ. Whether it's Dallas Turner on a third and sixteen grabbing the quarterback's face mask when you know you're blitzing and you're gonna have two more two more guys helping you whether it's Seth McLaughlin snapping the ball, whether it's JoJo Earl running across the middle of the field after making his, feels like his, what, third, fourth catch of the season, just holding the ball out wide, getting a turnover. Another game where you give the other team 10 points, you spot a team 10, you're the road team. That's just what we've been accustomed to since Alabama's really game at Florida last year, and it really showed you at, at Texas A&M last year. This is kind of who Alabama is, and with an offense that is um, prone to struggle on the road, you can't turn it over on the road. And, man, hats off, I guess, to Pete Golding in this game, whatever. I know that A&M or Ole Miss probably should have only scored 14. But, guys, this is still another game with Alabama with a touchdown or less lead in the fourth quarter, has two chances to completely put the ball game away. They grab a three and out. I mean, you have a, you have Bryce Young, Bill O'Brien's calling the plays, do something. You go three and out, give the other team the ball back. You then Pete Golding again gives up a drive that goes all the way into the Alabama red zone. He can't get off the field if it wasn't for a sack and maybe a marginally better quarterback for Lane Kiffin. Um, Ole Miss wins this game because Jackson Dart is bad. Um, that's kind of the life you live in the transfer portal. So, you know, um, overall, I guess, good win. Alabama's two or three touchdowns better than Ole Miss, and uh, we're still kind of trying to squeak him out on the road. Yeah, Lester, I, I, it's another game of Pete Golding getting out-schemed by Lane Kiffin, and I know he gave up 24 points, and that's I guess that's good with this offense, but J-Law just touched on it. Jackson Dart is not good. He is very, very average. And I told you all that early in the season. I remember we were texting during when they were the play in Kentucky, and I was like, Jackson Dart makes some really bad throws. He he's he's and I guess he's young. Was he a redshirt freshman or sophomore? I, I, he's he's young, but at the same time, he just does not look good. He's very skittish in the pocket. And a lot of people were like, Alabama's defensive line stepped up big. No, Jackson Dart just ran right into him. There were a, a couple of sacks that he took where he could have bought his time in the pocket or maybe gotten out of the pocket, and he just stepped up right into Byron Young. Uh, he has bad pocket awareness. He has bad accuracy. He has bad decision-making. This guy's got a long way to go, and probably one of the worst quarterbacks that Lane Kiffin has had. Um, but, you know, like, like J-Lo was saying, just another game where Pete Golding gives up a big drive late and – Late in the game, I mean, they kept running the toss. They kept running the toss out of the shotgun. And I, how, how many times did I text y'all, they're about to play action that toss. They're about to play action. He's going to play action that toss. And sure enough, Mingo, whoever it was, is wide open. And if Dart can hit him in stride without making him fall down, he scores. And they did it a couple of more times and hit us on big plays. It's just you've got to know stuff like that is coming. It's just another game where I think – both of our coordinators got out schemed. Alabama just happened to have 
you know, talent, talent, talent ended up winning in this game. But Lester, what do you have to say about defensively in this game with with Alabama still not still not making big time plays? I know they got the turnover, um, and actually should have been a a, a not a non offensive touchdown, but they blew the play dead. But with as with as much stuff as as Kiffin does, you know, defensively you got to be prepared for it. How do you how prepared do you think they were, and how how well do you think they executed their game plan? Well, um, Reeks going out play one probably doesn't help it. Oh yeah, is Kyrie Jackson dead? I don't know because Terion came in right. Yeah, oh, yeah, immediately. Yeah, I guess yeah, the next play was. Where is six? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Probably in the gulag somewhere. Earl Little is back playing. God, yeah. three's got to be the worst corner we have on the roster, right? It seemed like it early on in the season for sure, but I, I mean, I wonder how much adjustments are made as the game progresses with this team and this defense. Because like you're mentioning with the play, with the the toss out of the shotgun, everybody could tell they're going to play action off of it. And it still went for a big play. Like, like you know, you, of course you have a game plan going into the game. You know, you know, you study your film, you do all your work, you know, you got your X, Y, Zs, but it, it, number one, it's Kiffin, and number two, you're not going to get the same game plan that everybody else gets. We talk about that every single week with LM football. Something's going to be new. It's going to be different. But I just wonder, are they not making adjustments in-game? Or are they just being stubborn, just running the same old crap? Like, what? Like you said, like, what do they do that was different from the first half to the second half? I mean, only thing I saw they do, what they did was, you know, Saban shoots the mask, Bryce shoots the mask, maybe that little spark under a couple of folks. But, you know, with a better quarterback, that game probably don't turn out how it turns out. You know what I'm saying? I think with Kiffin and Dart, like you said, he gets skittish. If that first read isn't there, he's kind of like, you know, oh, shoot, you know, what do I do now? But I don't think this team is very good at making adjustments. I know that um, I was reading – Earlier, they kind of went away from the cheetah package and went with more of a traditional um, nickel to start the game with, um, primarily. But you know, it's just it's weird because they 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 aren't making adjustments for the simple things that you know are going to happen. So I don't know. That's kind of on Pete and Nick to figure out because that's just one example of that toss play. Well, here it comes. They're going to bust it, and thank God, you know, Dart sucks for the most part or you know like you said that's six last week Jayla one thing that we touched that we talked about was the frustration one thing that I that I touched on was the frustration that I have with this team more than any other Alabama team because of the fact that you haven't had any major injuries in order to lose these games and that's something that I've just been I mean, bitching about for for weeks is, you know, if you have key injuries or if you get up, if you straight up get beat by a better team, you know, I think Alabama, that happened in 2018, Clemson, LSU in 2019, 2017, Auburn. And you really, you still have excuses for those games too. I mean, you know, Loxley had one foot out the door. Uh, Tua was hurt against LSU and then, Tua didn't play in 2017 because Jalen was the starter his sophomore year. Um, you know, I, I can handle that. 
I can handle losing when when there's situations like that. But to get out schemed just this year by teams like Texas, which you'd probably lose by two or three touchdowns if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt because he had your number. Uh, Texas A&M, Tennessee, LSU, Ole Miss. That's the most frustrating thing to me. That's why I'm such an, having such a hard time accepting this season for what it's become. This is a team that has potential to be one of the best of the Saban era. That's what they were supposed to be preseason. Um, second highest odds ever to win the national championship. Ever. Not just in the last 10 years. Second highest odds ever to win a national championship preseason. Your offense coordinator and defense coordinator have made it to where you played five one-score games and you won 60% of them. To me, that's piss poor. And, and you know, out of those five one-score games, the, ta- the talent level has been just – it blows me away how much more talent Alabama has in these teams that they're close with. Even Tennessee, that's all scheme. We talked about that. But how frustrating is it to you that since Alabama doesn't have any big-time injuries, Bryce got banged up a little bit. You know, Milrow had to play the A&M game, turn it over four times. You know, we'll, we'll let that one slide, I guess. But how frustrating is is it to you, or how frustrating is this team relative to the teams in the past that have lost two or three games, but maybe they had some some key injuries go down that led to those losses? Yeah, I think the big key is what you just talked about is, you know, in the rare chance that Alabama was out schemed in the past, the talent that the if it, if it's a rarity and your talent can't come through and just get that win, you know, you'd accept it. But guys, this is we we got a, what fifteen games last year. We've played ten this year. We have a twenty-five game sample size of Bill O'Brien and and um, Pete Golding as Alabama's coordinators together. And it's just so consistent that this type of thing is happening. Yeah, Alabama had some injuries last year, um, had a pretty seasoned team um, from a wide receiver standpoint. But roll it into this, man, like Alabama hasn't – Alabama's never really going to play a team that has more talent on the roster outside of Georgia. But to be consistently out-schemed and then putting your your athletes in not the best situation to get a win, I, I think that's very frustrating. And when, when you – it's not like Brian Kelly had like 37 kids on the roster when he got there. Like their whole their whole team transferred. Texas A&M didn't have a snowball's chance in hell in competing with you this year. They just lost to Auburn. Dude, they lost to Auburn. That's how bad it is. Texas, dude, did they score? They didn't score an offensive touchdown last week with, with Quinn Ewers playing. With a worthy plan against a bunch uh, of three stars, I mean, TCU. Like, yeah, it's against a TCU team that gives up points. Um, Ole Miss, how many, how many guys on Ole Miss's roster outside of Evans would be playing for Alabama? One, maybe two, Judkins, maybe Minko, maybe one offensive lineman out of that group. I'm just saying, yeah. like. That that's the issue for me is we're consistently out schemed. We're consistently putting our players in a bad position to win. You're not going to be able to make up for the the lack of game planning with talent. Um, time in and time out. Oh nine Tennessee Kiffin comes in out schemes this talent wins the game. You have a Mount Cody type of a, of a game. You know, twenty eleven 
LSU comes in. You probably got out-schemed in that game a little bit, still should have won the game. There's just been so many games where Alabama has been out-schemed, but they've either won or definitely had a chance to win at the end. And um, we just What's the out. difference there? What's the difference in between those teams and this team's? Is dogs? Is it not? Well, Somebody yeah, but, steps up and makes a play. Yeah, but so you but you just said Alabama's won 60% of those games. How many times has that happened five times in a season to an Alabama team? That's the thing. If it happened once or twice, Alabama's going to go win those games. But your your probability of winning one-score games, last year Alabama won a lot of them. We used to say it about Gus Malzahn at Auburn. He had a really good year go 11-1. and one. Next time he's going to go 7-5 and five because the pendulum swings back and forth. You win all the one-score games last year and you do the same thing this year, you're not going to have the same favor when it comes to odds. And I think that's the key. It's happened more often this year. You've been out scheme more often on a consistent basis, so you're not going to be able to pull out all of the wins. And just so unfortunate for Alabama, you're probably your two toughest games of the year, both been road games. You lose those by a combined four points. So, yeah, maybe the sky's not falling. But last week's game shouldn't have been a six-point game. The Texas A&M game shouldn't have been a – what was that, a four-point four four, game? Yeah. Four-point game. Texas, you're kicking a what a fifty? Was it was it a forty nine? Yeah, it's like whatever. 47, 49, something like and that. And Reichert had to kick a fifty two yarder earlier in the game, and to, they missed an extra point. I mean, it's just Texas, one of those things. Like, yeah. way it's happening way too often. So that's why I do think that both the guys are going to be gone. As much as saving praise Pete Golding earlier this week, I just think that the writing is. It's just on the wall. You got to get a fresh start. Saban's counting his years. Probably got three or four left at the most, I think, by the time he gets to 75 years old. Um, so you're going to see a change next year. And, you know, if it doesn't work, I think you can kind of like, you know, moving on from Gus for Auburn. If it doesn't work, at least you can say you tried. Um, but they definitely have some things to figure out. And it's just been a frustrating team. The whole game was frustrating Saturday until uh, until the final zeros. All right, this is – and I asked you that, <clears throat> excuse me, to to set up this, and this is that stat that I told you all. Usually I tell you all what I'm going to tell you on the podcast, but this week I was like, this is too good to not – to let you know beforehand because I want to get your guys' live reaction. I understand, and this is something I did completely on my own. I didn't read this anywhere. I was just thinking about it and how much talent Alabama has over these teams – that they're letting hang around and getting beat by. Um, I understand that the recruiting sites are not 100% accurate. There's going to be busts every single year. We get that. We understand that. But at the same time, these guys do this for a living. They have a pretty good idea over which players are studs and which ones aren't. And so on the 247 recruiting site, if you're not familiar with it, each player has a player – ranking and like 1.000 is like the highest you can get i think there's been what like five people maybe quinn Ewers is one that has like a perfect rating vince young people like that um somebody like bryce would have been like 0.9998 or something um so 0.92 and above is usually around 200 to 250 and higher overall in the rankings okay Alabama on their roster has 62 of those type players, players that were ranked point or rated 0.92 or higher on their roster. The teams they played against that had these one score games with Texas has 35. Alabama has 62. Texas has 35. Texas A&M has the most with 40. 
still 22 less than Alabama. LSU has 28. Tennessee and Ole Miss have 12. 12. 50 less than Alabama as far as high school rankings overall or overall ranking on their roster. So you think about that. Alabama has 62 players, and they, they got beat by Tennessee and had another one go down to the wire with Ole Miss with 12. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, unacceptable, number one. I, listen, it's not just an out-scheming problem, and Lester chime in. It has been a talent development problem at key positions. I I used to – going into this year, I y'all, told, y'all thought I was crazy when I was saying, hey, Holman Wiggins has got to step up this year after last year. We didn't really develop anybody. We played a wide receiver three in Slade Bolden. We need to see those guys get better. They haven't. Our inside linebacker play since Sean Deion Hamilton has been eh, – I know Dylan Moses was banged up. We have not been great on the offensive line. We do have – should have had some recruits there, like Brockermeyer and guys that aren't playing. Um, but we've had some key guys miss, but we've also had a lack of development on top of the scheme issues, and that's a bad marriage. Lesser, did you think that – we, I mean, we we know there was a talent gap, but did you think it was something that was that wide? I, well, the talent gap isn't wide, I don't think, because we – I mean, like I said, we were far superior in talent than everybody else. But like J-Law was saying, I mean, guys, think about it. Think about it. How many years have we pointed out to a position group, one or two or multiple – like, hey, these guys coming in, when they're leaving, they haven't gotten any better. I mean, we've said that maybe not loudly because Bama's been winning. Like, winning cures all ills. But we've said, hey, this this position group should be a little bit better. Hey, this this guy, he he's not what we thought he should be. Or this group of guys, they're not playing how they should be to adapt to, you know, this style of offense or you know, going against, you know, other offenses. Well, now you have a team full of guys who are not as developed as they should be for a variety of reasons. It simply finally caught up to Alabama again. You know what I'm saying? Like, it happens, but now it's glaring all across the board, and it's more glaring when you have a superstar like Bryce leading an offense of wide receivers who can't catch, defensive, I mean, offensive linemen who are average to above average, and tight ends who are absolutely garbage. This is what happens. It's more glaring when you have a guy like Will Anderson, you know, surrounded by. Has he gotten any better? I mean, but it doesn't matter if he's got any better. He's like Jadavion Clowney. How much better are you going to get in college? Yeah. You well, know, man, it just seems like, you know, in 2016, Tim Williams, when he came in the game, and I understand he wasn't an every-down player. Right. When that guy came in the game, you're watching him because watching it's him, third yeah. and ten, your ass is going down. 56 is coming after your ass. And it seems like Will was like that last year. Like, you get into a third and eight, third and nine, but like, buddy, you better get it out quick because 31's yeah. coming. And this year, he's, it's just, he's just not there. You know why he's not there, though? Who is playing on the interior to get a push? 
who is who who is demanding a double team yeah. in the middle of that defensive That's line? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. You know why? Because defensive line recruiting and development has sucked. Who's the last dominant interior lineman we've had? Quentin Williams in 2018. Yes. Well, I guess and, I guess you could say Barmore, but he never really got it. You know, but he, he never he was, he was yeah. average and then exploded in the playoffs in Correct. 2020 and then bailed. So Correct. And, and and hey, you can point to that issue for the defensive line specifically to guys transferring out or middle. I mean, do we have three five stars? What Sosfer? Who's the guy that went to Colorado? Alfano. Um, Alfano. Uh, and there's one more, another five star who just shit the yeah. out. Iabi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and, mean, and Tim, Tim Smith and Damon Payne are both five stars. They're yeah. not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's it 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 finally caught up to you. Like, I mean, and now you can't change it over the course of a season. You can't change it in the course of an off season. It's going to take another year of two of intense recruiting, hitting on those guys that you recruit, and then developing them. So this has just been a, you know, a problem that it reared its ugly head in a bad way this year. Yeah, Austin P coming into town this weekend. Probably the worst slate of games in college football every season is this. Well, I guess it's technically week 12 because you had the bye week, but the team's 11th game, the week before rivalry week, uh, it's just awful. Then you got like Georgia, Kentucky. Georgia's a 22 point favorite. Um, some West Coast games that are pretty good, but. Is there any other football talk y'all wanna y'all y'all wanna get off your chest about Ole Miss, Alabama's a team, um, around the SEC? It doesn't matter. Before we move on to the hardwood, um, Auburn, the coaching search. So this is this is real real quick. Mm-hmm. What are they gonna do if the guy they bring in sucks and you're gonna have half the fan base clamoring for Cadillac? I mean, is he going to be allowed to stay on staff? Is the new coach not going to be allowed to bring in all of his guys? It's just going to be another little issue on the planes if things don't go right. How confident are they in Lane Kiffin, Lester? Is that something you think is close to happening? Because we, we're all in agreement. Lane Kiffin is the only one that we would not want there. As, an, as Alabama fans, we can take Hugh Freeze. I don't think he was great. He just got, you know, he upsets Arkansas on the road and then gets beat by UConn. <laughs> he was a four, like a 14-and-a-half point favorite, and he got beat by a, a women's basketball school. Uh, so how good is he really? I mean, he was kind of average at Ole Miss. I think his best season was like 9-and-4 or something like that, maybe 10-and-4. Right. So anybody but Kiffin. So, how, I mean, what are the chances that they get somebody like that? Or get him. I don't think they get Giffen. Uh, I'll still I mean, be shocked. I'll, money I'll still be everything. shocked if he goes. I'll there. say that. Mo- money and everything. Jimmy Sexton is going to finesse Kiffin with a $10 million a year at Ole Miss with a fat buyout. And when the job that Kiffin really wants comes open, he'll go there. Because cause for all the things said about Kiffin and stuff, I still don't think that Auburn – and their boosters have changed one bit, and that's not going to change if Kiffin becomes the head coach. There's always going to be some shady stuff going on behind the scenes. It's always going to be 
you know, a problem if things don't go right. God forbid, Kiffin's get caught at Sky Bar or some dumb stuff like that. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think I'd be thoroughly shocked if Kiffin goes to Auburn. I don't even really think it's it's all that. I think that I don't know if you noticed. I don't think Kiff. I used to think Kiffin was making fun of Saban with his hands at post game press conferences. But it's like, dude, he's just like taking on Saban's personality from, uh, you know, talking to the media and running his program. And I don't think Kiffin is. He's matured. Yeah, he's grown up a little bit. I mean, maybe. But I just think I don't. Is Kiffin going to go somewhere where you have to do what you have to do at Auburn, number one? But it, it is Auburn going to be willing to pay what it looks like Lane Kiffin is asking, which is going to be. To leave Ole Miss at this point, probably a guaranteed eight and a half, nine million dollars a year with this seven or eight year contract. So, I mean, eight years, eight million dollars. I mean, that's what $64 million I a year. I think he's looking for more than that. 60, I mean, but I'm saying like guaranteed 64 million. Yeah. I don't know. Can Auburn pay that? Their buyout, their buyouts, their buyouts are just stacking up. You're and Kiffin's have, asking for NIL money, too. Yeah, and NIL money, which I do think for Kiffin, you could say money's not everything, but to stay competitive right now, and this could change in the ne- in, in upcoming legislative sessions. You don't know. But right now in college football, to stay competitive, you need NIL money. And Auburn's got $30 million. Now, who knows if that's going to be $30 million recurring. It just depends on if they like you and you're doing a good job. Like A&M's NIL money, that's not recurring anymore because they hate Jimbo, so they're going to screw him until he either quits or they're able to fire him, and then the next guy will get some NIL money. But you do need that to be competitive, and the Grove Collective is uh, up to 4,000 members now. Um, so who knows how much money that is. They think that's probably around uh, 4 or $5 million that they've been able to, to increase over the last week or two. Um, so, so who knows, but I don't think Kiffin – I still don't think that he will be the coach at mm-hmm. Auburn. I think he does want the Alabama job. But, man, if they throw you guaranteed $80 million, uh, I'd, I'd take it for $80 million. Well, I mean, say he does go to Auburn and then a job like Alabama or Texas or Texas A&M or Oklahoma opens up in, say, three years. Is Auburn a place that you leave to go to one of those jobs? Absolutely. How yes, bad it, would that be? You would want to leave, but if you yeah. sign a sixty-four million dollar guaranteed contract, dude, Alabama's not going to pay right. fifty million bucks to get Kiffin from Auburn. It's like the contract for Jimbo made a lot of sense at A and M. Like you're probably not going anywhere else. That's still like the money they can pay you, the resources they can give you. Probably a destination job, but if you're Kiffin, you're thinking Auburn is still one of my stepping stones. Do you lock yourself into a contract that you have? You, you're there is no buyout. It is the amount of money, so it, it's 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 kind of tough for him to weigh on that. Yeah, guaranteed cash, but if I want to start being considered, you know, one of the best in college football, I need to be at one of the best jobs in college football. I don't think he locks himself into one of those ten million, ten year, ten million dollar contracts. Yeah, and history tells us that that Auburn's a place where you can win, but it's never been a place where consistency has been there. You know, they're 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 going to have runs. I mean, what did Gus coach there six years? 
and they made it to two national championships. Um, won one of them, made it to another SEC championship. But, you know, that's been one of the best runs they've ever had. That's been a, a top three or four era in Auburn football, whether they want to admit it or not. They can claim how much they hate Gus. Gus is like your third best coach in your history. I mean, I think Pat Dye never made it to a natty. He won a couple of SEC championships after Bear left, um, you know, when, when Alabama was trying to figure out their situation after Bear died. Um, so, I mean, that's it's never really been a program of consistent cons- success. You know, all, the Auburn fans are quick to shout that, you know, they're a better program than Ole Miss or whatever. And, and I mean, Ole Miss hasn't done anything anyway, but – at the same time, Auburn still continues to put themselves on the platform of a top 10 job in America when, you know, these teams that have consistently won over, I don't know, 100 years. I mean, yeah, they've gone through lulls of, of bad hires and, and bad teams, maybe even over a decade. Alabama's had them. They always seem to come back and go on other runs. And Auburn's just not one of those teams. They'll get streaky and they'll they'll have a couple of fluke years, but outside of that, it's it's a it's a perennial eight and four program. It is what it is. I mean, I sent y'all the text that <clears throat> Freebie, who's one of my dad's friends, he's a avid Gump Runners podcast listener, so he'll he'll hear this. I'm gonna use his text that he sent because he made a lot of sense with this. And I said I sent it to y'all and I said Freebie speaking the truth today. Um, he says he doesn't know the current the current terms for Lane, but looking three or four years in the future, um, he thinks it'd be best for Ole Miss should see that he's there until a supermodel, which supermodels could, you know, top 10 job in college football, wants his digits. And this is how Freebie talks. He's got swag. Um, they may be wise to extend now as a reward and write in a big buyout. The supermodels will pay it regardless, and would it would be a nice consolation prize for the school. And I was like, that, that really makes a lot of sense. You know, Ole Miss gets what they want, which is cash. And, and, uh, and Kiffin gets what he wants, which is a, a top 10 job in college football, which is what he deserves. Yeah. And that's kind of how Hugh Freeze's thing is set up to where they're going to keep signing him a deal each and every year. So when that big job does open up, they'll get his Liberty will get his money. They can afford the next coach potentially that they're able to get, so it kind of, it kind of works both ways. And if you're Kiffin, man, you had the same agent as Nick Saban. Um, I have a friend that flew back from the 2020 Natty, um, and they sat around Sexton, and they were on the plane back home from the 2020 Natty with a lot of people that are really tight with Jimmy Sexton. And uh, they said that Sexton, after every year, first thing he does. Like he'll see Saban in the locker room and they'll just look at him. It's kind of a running joke, but it's kind of serious. It's how many years you think you got left? You ready to hang it up yet? And after the 2021, Saban said five years. I mean, you know, it so that's that's three years left. Now he made a change his mind last year. This is going back to 2020. That put Saban at 75, 76. So if you're kiffing, I mean, are you really are you gonna risk it? Are you are you going to Put it this way, Les Miles rode Nick Saban's way for a decade. Actually, was it 11 years? Rode it for 11 years. Yeah, no no transfer portal, obviously, back then. But, yes. Then you, you're going to inherit the best roster. Saban is not going to recruit out of the top five. You're going to inherit probably one of the best rosters in college football. 
dude, you can ride that wave for seven or eight years. We say it's already been done in other places. Is is it comes down to is Kiffin willing to risk that? Because everybody knows that he wants the Alabama job, but it's one of those things: are you willing to wait, and are you willing to risk it by taking another job that's going to make you untouchable to Alabama um, when it's all said and done? But we'll we'll see. He is the only guy that really scares me. They could have hired Napier a few years ago, and I've been like, oh man, he might have been a replacement for Saban. Yeah, Hugh Freeze had you know people were even throwing Dabo's name in there, which to me honestly wouldn't scare me. Dabo would lose three or four games every year uh, in this conference. But uh, Lane Kiffin is one of those sneaky ones. Now, it's 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 high risk, high reward, Lester. Like, Kiffin could go one or two ways if he's your head coach. Yeah, and um, with the state of Mississippi, they only give out – I think the max he could sign is a four-year deal. So, I think we're going to learn a lot about Lane Kiffin, about how – much more he's matured where his headspace is at because if he's willing to sit back and be patient and be smart, sign that four-year deal, get your four-year um, contract, get $40 million, whatever you can get out of Ole Miss, or is he just going to go ahead and jump to Auburn because they're going to give him the most money, even though it's maybe not be the best decision. And also, how sold on we that Kiffin is – not he's a good he's a good coach he's a great coach but how sold are we that he is the best coach in college football or the I mean the second best because surely you want the next best coach in college football when Saban retires right well it's available it's available coaches you know like like you're not gonna go get Ryan Day you're not gonna go get Brian Kelly Kirby Smart those guys are you know Lincoln Riley those guys are set right I want to see what he does more at Ole Miss. Say what? I want to see what more he can do with Ole Miss. Sure. But at the same time, he's so limited there with his lack of NIL funding. Um, he kind of has to rely on the transfer portal and his offensive scheme to woo players out of the portal, you know, like Jackson Dart and, and Zach Evans. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, Quinshawn Jenkins, that's just lucky. Nobody saw that. He didn't have a committable offer from Alabama or Auburn. Or Auburn, yeah. The guy was rated like 570th overall. He, he, like, nobody thought that he was going to explode. Like, and you're going to have those every year, sure. Um, that's a great find, but he's not going to do that every year. You're, you're not, you can't just rely on, on recruiting, you know, sub 600 guys and, uh, and, and count on them panning out every single year. And so it, it but as far as available, coaches who are ready to take the next step I think Kiffin is number one I think you've got some guys at smaller schools that are that are that can be good but a jo- jobs like Alabama and Auburn I mean obviously Auburn's not going to make that mistake again of hiring a group of five coach no way they do that even if it was somebody like Jamie Chadwell from Coastal um, that there's no chance they they would they would try to go that route again but I think that, you know, as far as available coaches who are ready to take their career to the next step, I think Lane Kiffin's number one easily. I can dig it. I can dig it. Um, hope it doesn't go to Auburn and it's not because I'm, I'm afraid of him. But if he's a real deal, I would love for him to see what he does at Ole Miss. And when that four-year contract comes up, we'll see where Saban is at. And shoot, we can go from there. So, but no, let's get in the hoops. <laughs> Alabama basketball starting off three and zero. We talked about the the Longwood game. Did we, yeah, we talked about yeah, we talked about Longwood last week. 
since then, Alabama's gone two and zero, hung ninety five on Liberty, and uh, and then beat South Alabama sixty five to fifty five. We're up by eighteen or twenty at one point, and then uh, Javon Quinterly came back in and immediately South South Alabama, Alabama was the they're able to make it a game again. So Q hasn't missed a beat. Um, Lester, what what more have we seen from Brandon Miller and? J Law, you didn't you didn't get a chance to talk with us. This is your first time talking hoops. We're trying so hard, and I'm trying to be the mediator to like not let everybody get overhyped on Bama basketball like we love to do. Alabama basketball hype is relative to Auburn football hype. Like every year preseason, Alabama's winning the national championship. You hear all you see all the gumps on Twitter. They just go crazy. Um, but this team does look different. It has been three games. It's hard not to be optimistic, Lester. Uh, you know, Brandon Miller, stud. He's averaging damn near 18 points a game. Mark Sears transfer from Ohio is playing well. Rylan Griffin off the bench. Jaden Bradley is getting better. Just talk about the the you know the more or talk about the team more since you've seen them two more games since we talked about them last week and what what you're seeing out of these guys early in the season. Intensity defense before we even talk about offense, the defensive intensity, bro. The, the dog and these guys, number look, one in rebounding in the country. And you know what? Rebounding and defensive stats that's effort. You can you can stand up, you can guard a guy, sure, yada yada yada, but jumping up, going for that rebound, reaching in, going for that steal that's effort, and you're doing that because you want to. Nate Oates has a bunch of dogs on this roster who have completely bought in. And you know what? I say that because despite the talent, the defense has traveled. It is still there. Defensively, they have not played down to their opponent. They are still like a python choking guys out, getting a rebound, not even letting them get the chance. I'm loving all the offensive rebounds that – this team is getting on the offense. Now, granted, they're getting so many because there's a lot of offensive misses, but they are staying in the paint, getting the rebounds, boxing guys the hell out, and giving the offense another chance to make a shot. I love it. I was taking another group the other day. I was like, Brandon Miller is like the quietest score I've witnessed. I mean, you look in the box stats, he has what? 15, 16, 17, 18, 20 points a game. And it doesn't even seem like it. he's a very quiet guy, but he got a little fiery the other day um, against South Alabama. I love that out of that freshman, cuss the guy out. I can, I love it. I'm I'm really, really loving um, what I'm seeing from this team thus far. I know they got, what, Jacksonville State tomorrow, their favorite by 20. Um, so that should be another easy dub, another fun game to watch. But I'm, I'm really excited to see this team against a little bit better competition. Yeah, then you got Michigan State in the tournament after that on uh, November. Yeah, where's that at? That's 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 up north. Where's that at? I can't remember where that tournament is. Phil at. Knight Invitational, so Indiana, I'm guessing. No, that's Phil I'm Knight. Kidding. That's Oregon. That's I'm Nike. Kidding. That's Bob Knight. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, Bob Knight. Yeah, somewhere. Because it's a 930 tip, so it's going to be a West Coast. But, Jayla, how much Alabama basketball have you been able to watch this year? Um, and, and if you watch, I mean, I'm, I know you've probably watched a game or two out of the three, but what do you think? What are your early. Uh, what do you think of this team early on in the season? Yeah, listen, I've watched them all, and 
you know, it's easy to be excited about it when you hear the uh, kind of the remarks from Nate Oates. Basketball, the the media door is so much more open because they're trying to build build a fan base, trying to get people excited. So you know a lot more about the team, or at least you think you know a lot more about the team when the season starts than you would with football. But when so when you bring in a class like these guys brought in with with Griffin and, and Clowney and and B Mills and B Mill and Mark Sears are shooting over forty percent from three. I know people are frustrated with the way that, that some people are shooting the ball, but it's not those guys. That's NATO's sweet spot. You get guys shooting forty plus percent from three, man. They're they're gonna they're gonna have chances to fill it up, man. Brandon Miller on the glass scoring the basketball is as advertised. Definite lotto pick. Um, Jaden Bradley, even I thought last week, kind of turned the ball over a few times, but I, I think there were effort. Like he's trying to be quick with it. He's trying to get, step his game up from high school to the college level. Those things will start to mesh. Um, still waiting on Noah Gurley to, you know fill it up with a little more consistency you know he'll hit some but he's also i feels like he hits about 20 percent of the shots that he throws up let's well, so this is a good roster and i think that you know when you have a good roster there's going to be high expectation the and in high school basketball and college basketball with the transfer portal um with the 18 year olds being able to come in and to instantly contribute there's a lot of high expectations around this season and the first three or four games we last year um I think we rolled into SEC play with two losses. Um, we're going to have a chance to kind of maybe not be at that level, but because we do have a very tough schedule, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Memphis, uh, some teams that we're going to play out of conference. But and when you roll up in the conference play, you're going to have a pretty decent-looking resume, and you just have to keep building that momentum. It all fell apart for Alabama in conference play last year. Um so if you're if you're talking about a team for Alabama that you think they can get a top five seed in the tournament and not get screwed by catching an eight or a nine and playing a you know a number one in the second round, this might be the team to do it. Um, they have good freshmen, they have some veteran guys that could play some good basketball. I think that's a good mix, and um, not to get overhyped, but I think this team can at least I think the the floor would be round of thirty two. Um, be great to get back to the Sweet 16, but they do have the pieces um, to go Sweet 16 or further. From from what I've seen so far, if they get a t- slightly more consistent on offense, which I think they will. All right, Lester, here we go. I'm starting it after Game Three, and that's just because um, he came back way early. Which you know, props to JQ. That's not easy. Tears his ACL against Notre Dame in the first round of the tournament and uh he was expected back around the start of SEC play way ahead of schedule he's back before Thanksgiving tremendous what our training staff has been able to do as far as long as him you know and his drive and determination to get back on the floor but here's the problem Lester you've got two really good point guards man and I understand Quinterly you can't replace the SEC experience and maybe the cream will rise to the top, but I haven't seen Quinterly do too many things that Sears and Bradley can't do. So whenever he is back to full strength, is Nate Oates a Nick Saban type guy where, oh, you played for me for two years, you've been a two-year starter, so you're automatically slotting back in? Or is Nate Oates like, I don't owe you shit. I've got to play the best player because 
Bradley's smooth, dude, and he's just going to get better. Mark Sears, J-Law says, shooting 43% from the arc. Both of them a little wild. They'll, they'll turn the ball over, but I think that's the whole team. I think every time Burnett touches it, he's either going to brick a three or turn it over right now. So it's going to take a while. you got to think you got Bediaco and Gurley right now are the only two guys that are getting solid minutes that were on the team last year. Miles is hurt. He's he's trash anyway. Uh, Quinterly's trying to work his way back. This is a brand new roster. You got four or five freshmen that are getting big time minutes, and then two or three transfer guys. Nick Pringle's also banged up. So you got an entirely new roster. These guys, you can't expect these guys to come in, in the first five games of the season and and look like they've been playing together for three or four years. But that point guard rotation is one that I really worry about because I don't like the idea of going small in the SEC and trying to run two guys out there that are six foot one, even though I think Sears rebounds really well for a six, one point guard, but Lester, once Quinterly gets back to full strength, what does this point guard rotation look like? I mean, I, I don't know. I know one thing, like you were mentioning, Oates is not loyal to, you know, someone who is inferior to the other two guys who are balling out. Like I told you guys earlier, um, when Q comes back, he needs to be a sniper. Don't don't dribble. Don't just shoot the ball. Shoot it well. You better shoot it well and play defense. Don't need you to ball handle. Don't need none of that pressure on your shoulders, buddy. If you get an open shot, put it up, let it fly, get your ass back on defense, and play good defense. We do not need him handling the ball in any large capacity. I mean, maybe for... I mean, see, I don't see Sears or the other guy needing a break for just that long. Um, maybe he comes off the bench and gives a couple minutes here and there, but if he's not going to be um, turnover free and be efficient, he's just not going to play. He just can't play because when he came to game the other day, like you said, it went to shit and it went to shit like quickly. So unless that changes. Um, I don't see him playing or having that significant of a role on the team, honestly. Well, you know, it's it's basketball is a, a rhythm game, and so you don't do you like the idea of maybe rotating three point guards at what well would that be 12 13 minutes a game roughly for each of them, or do you think it's a situation where Quinterly and Sears are going to split and then Bradley comes in and spells for six seven minutes a game? Which one so would I you think, let me ask you, which I, one would you prefer out of those two scenarios? I think Quinnell is the guy who comes in and spells, guys. I just don't see that. I'll be shocked. I, I unless he unless can't something happens. to play like he played though and play a lot. Sure. And, and you know, everybody's like, oh, he's coming off the knee injury. He's rusty. Dude, you, you he threw the ball. I mean, he he made a terrible pass on a pick and roll, trying to do a little flashy bounce pass and it hit off the guy's knee. And then his second turnover, he missed a layup. And then he he had a second turnover where he was trying to throw an outlet pass and he threw it in the second row. I'm like, I can literally stand on one leg, flamingo style, and throw that pass. It's not difficult. He was a turnover machine all last year. But you know, like we did talk about maybe he thought he had to do too much. So I'm with you. If if he can dial it in and realize that he doesn't have to be a, a one man show, that he can play within a team system like he did in 2020, I think that that would be the best for us. That would be the best if he cannot, you know, try to come in and want to be a superstar. Well, you know, I understand he wants to come back and show that he's still got it per se, 
But, you know, he's got to ease himself back into action. J-Law for years, I guess it started with Shannon Hill uh, when I was in college, and I would tweet the picture of a trash nope. can every game, <laughs> and he would like it. So, obviously, he's searching. And I wouldn't tag him, so obviously he's searching his name after every game, and he would go, you know, one for eight from the field with three points. And, you know, he had a six, seven, 205-pound frame, just had just dripping with NBA tools and was an absolute head case. One of the worst players that's ever donned the Alabama basketball uniform. And then it was, like, you know, guys like Dazon Ingram, Jaden Shackelford. It seems like there's one guy every year that we just harp on. And early in the season, who's your favorite? To land to land in that role, I, I, I'm probably going to say from guys that we just had a lot of expectations for. It's probably Noah Gurley, maybe, and I think that, mm, yeah, I don't know who I mean, who else would it be, but I think that shows you the talent on the roster because there's not a Shannon Hale. I know that last year Shaq didn't pan out. Quinn really didn't have play a great year, but dude. Y'all remember watching Avery Johnson Jr.? Oh God, he couldn't even dribble with his left <gasps> hand. I mean, like, oh. and he's a he's a point guard. At least Shaq's a two. You can be like, okay, he's a pull up shooter. Like, there, yeah, throw up noise, Lester, because that's how bad it was. And so, I don't know if there's one of those guys. It's still it's still up in the air for me who's going to be probably the, maybe the most frustrating player we have. And I think it's going to come down to it being the guy who shoots it too much and it don't go in i mean it's, it's pretty simple who's going to be firing them up all year waiting to you know turn their season around they think you know it's the middle of february and like buddy the season's over it started at the beginning of november um stop shooting the ball and it's last year for us that was jq um i don't know who that's going to be this year but we'll probably figure it out soon we've really? got we've got three early candidates uh well i do lesser tell me if you agree with this I think my number one, he's hurt right now, but Darius Miles. Uh, I harped on him last week. I don't like the way he looks. He dribbles the ball too high. He doesn't have great handles. He doesn't have a great shot. Um, and he's not great on defense either. Um, I think my number two is going to be Noah Gurley because that dude must have had a dream that he was Stephen Curry. And every time that dude is touching the ball, it, he is firing away. And I'm like, buddy, what are we doing? The other day, and he has no idea where it's going. I mean, he 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 drained one against South Alabama the other on Tuesday night. And then the very next possession, I mean, hey, you've got a feel. You know, I'm a big component of if you just hit a tray, get the ball back to him and let's let's set a, a double screen or something, see if we can get another open look. And he was he had another good look at it and like claimed it all. It went like backboard then rim, and I was like, dude, do you have any touch? Do you have any idea where it's going? He's my number two, and then a a long shot is Namari Burnett because he can't throw in the ocean. He's shooting ten percent from deep right now. He's a turnover machine, but he plays his ass off on defense. I think he is one of our best defenders, so I'm never gonna harp on somebody for that. Um, unless, you know, he gets trigger happy, which he's not right now, which is good. And I think he's got a good shot, and I think he'll get better. But remember, I told you guys preseason, this guy when he was at Texas Tech shot 14% from deep. So 
is he really a sniper? We really don't know. Uh, I think he will get better, but he's a long shot. He's got a long way to go to fall into that category with Gurley and Miles, but those are my top two right now. Yeah, I can I, I can I can agree with that. Um, I'll I'm I'm a little less critical of Burnett right now. Um, geez, Gurley's just chunking it up, and the. the I think what's pissed me off so bad about him is like when he misses, it's like loud. Like it's not like it's not like kissing off the rim or nothing. It's like it's like rattling around. It is loud. I was watching the game the other night and I I looked at the stats after the game and he was like two for eight from deep. And I was like, there's no way in hell that he only shot eight three pointers. It seemed like he was shooting like he every possession. Yeah. And he would he would string he would have one with string music, then the next one clang, clang. I mean, like the my girls woke up because it echoed off the TV. It was such a brick. It, it woke the damn babies up. It it was it's mind blowing. And see the thing about it, think about guys like that, like you said, they make one and they're not gonna stop. And God forbid he makes two. He's not gonna stop. That, that that's the worst thing about guys like that. Like it, like if you're if you're a big man and you can shoot the three, that's great. You make your one or two, and those are really really big shots in the game. And you know, okay, good. Like, well, thank you for your contributions, bro. But this guy just kept shooting it. it? I was like, damn. Like, he's gotten more shots and. More people who should be shooting the doggone ball. But, yeah, hopefully, you know, they'll see it on some film. Maybe he can shoot it. Maybe he's been lighting up in practice. Like, we don't know. But he's got to calm down. Jay Law, you got anything else regarding basketball? Yeah, man, I'm just hoping that it can um, quickly put away the pain of this football season. <laughs> and we'll know a lot about it when Michigan State, when that Michigan State game rolls around, you're going to – we're, I think we're going to know if we're a contender or not. And now we did beat some teams last year we weren't supposed to beat. We thought we were a contender when we beat Gonzaga. But, you know, if you go up, you beat a Tom Mizzo coach team, I think you can uh, kind of etch your name in a little bit as if you're a really good basketball team or not. So we'll know soon. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Michigan State just beat Kentucky in double overtime. Big win for them. So it's a, it's a really good team. We'll, we'll know – I don't think it's going to determine how the season is going to go because, like, like we just talked about, it's going to be their fifth game of the season with an entirely new roster. But it will, will give us a good idea of where they're at currently. And, uh, yeah, it would be a huge momentum booster for the program and, and for this team as far as confidence goes that they can get that win in that tournament. But, um, guys, we appreciate y'all stopping in and listening to us. Uh, Bama fans, it's almost over. Don't worry. You know, you're 10-2 football season. I know it's going to be tough. I know it's tough. But you know, hopefully Saban will he'll he'll rebound, bounce back, and we'll get some some young blood offensive coordinators in here and, and or offensive and defensive coordinators in here. We'll get back to rolling. Just hope that the basketball team continues to play well. But um until next week, this is episode 78, Gump Runners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out. See you guys.